More in the morning on News Talk 1010. So a couple of major stories in the world of entertainment, one of them being, of course, part two of the Michael Jackson documentary aired last night on HBO. And the documentary paints a brutal portrait of Michael Jackson as a man who groomed boys to be his sexual victims, but also groomed their families to look the other way, which is uh, beyond astonishing, to be perfectly honest. I don't know about you as a parent, but, you know, yesterday we were talking to Tim Hudak on the um, on, on one of the roundtables, and he said, you know, somebody said, I want one of your kids to come and sleep with me in a room. And an adult said, I, you know, I'm going to sleep with your kid, but it's all fine. And by the way, I'm going to make sure they have a great dancing career. No way. It would be a complete deal breaker. Oprah Winfrey, you may remember, did a beyond forgiving interview with Michael Jackson on live television many years ago. Remember that? And Elizabeth Taylor turned up out of nowhere like this sort of strange spectral character and talked about what a wonderful person Michael Jackson was. Well, now Oprah Winfrey, who's a bit of a weather vane, to be perfectly honest, is on the other side. And so she explained why she's interviewing the, the, the uh, victims. Uh, 25 years of the Oprah show, I taped... 217 episodes on sexual abuse. I tried and tried and tried to get the message across to people that sexual abuse was not just abuse, it was also sexual seduction. But for me, this moment transcends Michael Jackson. It is much bigger than any one person. This is a moment in time that allows us to see this societal corruption. It's like a scourge on humanity. And it's happening right now. It's happening in families. We know it's happening in churches Mm. and in schools and sports teams everywhere. So if it gets you, you, our audience, to see how it happens, then some good would have come of it. That's Oprah Winfrey explaining why she has essentially switched sides and the evidence is particularly persuasive but it was fairly persuasive even back in the day that michael jackson had a a strange relationship with young boys richard krauss joins us the host of pop life and the richard krauss show here on news talk 1010 good morning richard morning john so you know what's what's fascinating is i don't think a lot of people are surprised by the revelations in this michael jackson documentary series but all of a sudden the world is turning on him for example uh, a chain of radio stations in quebec has announced they will no longer play michael jackson music oh and the bbc has said that they're not going to play michael jackson music anymore and that there will be an ongoing investigation uh, of their own to see whether or not they will ever play michael jackson ever again and with these documentaries, the, the detail that's in the original cut of this film was five hours long. Uh, the one that we're seeing is four hours. And I don't know that people are as shocked by the allegations because those have swirled around for years. I think what people are more shocked by is seeing the human face of these people. The detail that is contained in this four-hour-long documentary uh, is quite startling. And, you know, we see these victims now as real people. You know, they are people who are obviously hurt by this. Now, Michael Jackson fans disagree, including 
uh, Michael Jackson's uh, nephew, Taj Jackson, who says, listen, you know, Wade Robson, one of the, the accusers that the film details, uh, you know, has changed the story over and over again. He wanted to write a book and that didn't fly and his career hasn't taken off and he's just looking for attention. But, I mean, I would say watch this documentary. You know, watch the, the look on his faces. Either he is an unbelievable actor or uh, he's telling the truth. Well, let's listen. Uh, this is uh, Tash Jackson, nephew to Michael Jackson, insisting that Wade has changed his story. Never let it be forgotten that both of the guys featured in this documentary took the stand and said that Michael Jackson was not a sex predator. And so they were testifying against a f- you know, presumed fellow victims. That Wade's, you know, changed his story about four different times. I would say that Wade, you know, decided he went to the, our, he went to my uncle's memorial. He did tribute shows left and right for my uncle. The minute he did not get MJ1, he all of a sudden starts writing a book on the down low. No one wanted to buy the book. And then all of a sudden he, ha- he comes up with these allegations. And that would be persuasive, Richard, except it's not uncommon at all for victims of um, sexual violence and sexual abuse to be very supportive of their abusers. Absolutely. I think if Me Too has taught us anything, and, you know, we have to keep in mind that Me Too uh, definitely has had an impact on how we're receiving these people that have come out and made these allegations against Michael Jackson now. Um, You know, there is now more of... um, a predilection, I guess, to, to, you know, side with the victims of assault and to understand that people behave uh, in ways that seem kind of inexplicable occasionally in these kind of situations. Uh, we've seen it over and over again with, uh, in, the, in the Weinstein uh, case. Why did people still work for him? Why did, you know, people thank him in Oscar speeches? Well, there's a, a strange relationship between an abuser and the abused. And I think that's what we're seeing in this uh, Finding Neverland uh, documentary, or Losing Neverland documentary. So I know that some people are pulling Michael Jackson's music now, but I'm curious, Richard Krauss, what you think his ultimate legacy is going to be. I was talking with a friend yesterday about this and mentioning that I'm a huge fan of Woody Allen's movies, and it's becoming increasingly hard to watch them because of everything we know now about Woody Allen. For years, I always had a judge the art, not the artist theory. You know, I would watch Woody Allen movies. Um, I still think Chinatown is a masterpiece by Roman Polanski. You know, I suppose that, you know, I, I would have danced to Michael Jackson on a dance floor somewhere. Uh, but I'm, I'm getting less so, I think, as, you know, more and more uh, allegations pile up uh, against these people. Um, I do think that it is uh, a little harder to appreciate that art. And I do think that maybe, you know, we should just try and think that there's lots of stuff to enjoy and love in the world, uh, and maybe we don't have to support people uh, who have done terrible things. Although it will limit what you can, you can't really look at Picasso paintings anymore in good conscience. You can't watch Annie Hall anymore. Uh, there's, you know, it, it goes on and on and on. Uh, but it's a decision that I think every person has to make personally. And of course, there's another major entertainment story, the passing of Luke Perry. And I guess you know, people of a similar age. I mean, he is four months younger than me, or was, Richard Krauss, and uh, he's gone. But maybe we have to stop making this about us and and talk about the legacy of a guy who was a pretty stand-up fellow who left some indelible memories from the 1990s. He was. I mean, it's hard to underestimate or understate how popular he was when Beverly Hills 90210 
uh, was on the air. And, you know, he remained uh, a, a very successful working actor afterwards. He's in the new Quentin Tarantino film that will be released later this year. He's on Riverdale. Um, you know, he was in movies like The Fifth Element and uh, you did voices on The Incredible Hulk and all sorts of other things. So he's a, he's a guy who uh, had an entire career overshadowed by the enormous popularity of the character Dylan McKay, this bad boy with a tortured soul. And, you know, he's being remembered really fondly by friends, by cast members who say that he was a stand-up guy, he was a decent guy. Uh, it's a, a shame that he, he left so early at age 52. And I think that's part of the, the shock of this is, you know, a lot of his hardcore fans would have grown up in the 90s watching them, you know, puts them around 40 years old somewhere in there. And 52 doesn't seem that far away. You know, so when your idols start falling, uh, it does make an impact on you. Richard, thanks a lot. Good to have you. Thanks, John. Richard Krause is the host of Pop Life, which has just entered its uh, fourth, I would say season, but TV doesn't work on seasons anymore, fourth iteration, we could say.